0: All right, Uh, please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20. John chapter 20 and verse number 30. John 20 and verse 30. And as many of you know, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and by the grace of God, next Sunday we'll continue on with that, unless the Lord leads otherwise. But this morning, because it is the day in which we in which the world, for that matter, commemorates the resurrection of Christ. We are going to briefly pause from our series in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to take a look in John chapter 20 today at something specific to the resurrection. As many of you, you can see the title of my sermon. It is on the YouTube page. We're going to preach about the unexpected visitor, the unexpected visitor. And in John chapter 20, we have three different instances in which Jesus showed up unexpectedly. So take, take your Bible to John 20 and verse 30, and the Bible says here, Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. So might I ask you to bow your heads with me. Let's pray, and then we'll talk about this unexpected visitor. Father, thank You this morning for the privilege to once again speak to Your people, to have a Bible open in front of us. Thank You for the beautiful day outside. Thank You for sending Your Son to die in our place, to rise again. Lord, what a difference it has made in the the world. It changed everything. The most momentous event in history and the most important event in my life, your resurrection. Father, please make it real to us this morning, and I pray you'd help us to apply all that goes with it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, John has told us here why he's written his Gospel. He's recorded these things so that somebody could read his Gospel and learn who Jesus truly was. He's more than just a man, more than just a prophet. In fact, the Son of God. He was divine. He was God manifest in the flesh. And in John chapter 20 specifically, he writes some stories that proves uh, the resurrection. Now, in my life, personally, I grew up in a church. I grew up hearing that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. But it never really hit me how important that was. I, I never struggled to believe the historical fact of it. Because I was told that from a child up, but there did come a a point in my life as I grew older. I began to ask myself, what what is so yes, the resurrection is unique and it's interesting, but why is it so groundbreaking? Why does it, why should it affect me so much? And I, for whatever reason, could not make that connection to my life personally. And I fear that it still happens today that people might mouth the words and say, yes, Jesus rose from the dead, but they, they possibly are missing that personal application and the, the power that it has to completely change your life. As I mentioned in the prayer leading into this, the resurrection is the most momentous event in the history of the world. When you think about how this coronavirus is changing the way the world operates. I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing how quickly things are happening and we look around and, and we wonder, are things ever going to be the same? But when you look down through human history at the great events that have shaped history, there are many deaths and there are, there are many burials, but there's only one resurrection that we look at as being completely unique and special And that is the resurrection of Christ. That is what the focus of the New Testament was all about. The apostles went out in the book of Acts bearing witness to this event, to the resurrection. Uh, Just in the same chapter, chapter 20, look at verse number 9. Chapter 20 and verse 9. It says here, For as yet they, and speaking of Peter and James, they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead, even Jesus' disciples, His closest disciples, when they looked into the empty tomb and realized that Jesus wasn't there, even till that point, the importance, the depth, the power of the resurrection, the fact of it, it escaped them. It escaped them. And we're going to look at some various stories in this chapter. Hopefully, hopefully, it will drive home to us the importance of the resurrection and how we can personally apply it in our own lives. Now, in this chapter, we have three parts, three parts. We're going to look at uh, how how each part affects us differently. First off, we're going to read about Mary, Mary Magdalene. Now, Peter and James, they are in the story, but I see them as a bit of a secondary part to that, to the story of how Mary saw Jesus. Peter and James only saw the empty tomb and not Jesus himself in the beginning. And then the second part, we're going to look at the disciples gathered in the upper room. And then in the third part, we're going to look at Thomas. And in each of these parts, the resurrection of Jesus fixes something that they were going through. In the first part, it fixes sadness. In the second part, it fixed their being scared. And in the third part, it fixed Thomas being skeptical. So let's take a look at these three things first of all mary when she went to the sepulchre to the tomb that morning she was sad at the sepulchre sad at the sepulchre in verse number uh, 11 if you can look there mary stood without at the sepulchre weeping now mary had gone with the other ladies and you can read in the other gospels how that story uh, played out but they met the angel there at the tomb The angel said, whom do you seek? We seek Jesus. He's not here. He's risen. And some of the ladies run off to tell other apostles. Mary runs and tells Peter and James. And when she does, Peter and James come. They stick their head in and eventually go into the tomb. They see that it's empty. And then the story turns back to Mary individually standing there at the tomb weeping. It says in verse 11, as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. She's looking deeper into the resurrection. I hope you are this morning. And it says, And seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? I want you to just focus on that question for a moment. Why weepest thou? Heaven is concerned about why you're sad. Now you look around, there's plenty of people in the world today that are sad. And for legitimate reasons, Mary certainly had a legitimate reason. And possibly today, you're shedding some tears. Possibly today, you're also sad. In verse number fourteen or 13, rather, She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid Him. Notice that Mary had yet to comprehend and wrap her head around The fact that Jesus had risen, even though by this time in the story, the angels had already told Mary, He's not here, He's risen. Again, you have to read the other Gospels to put that together. She had heard the good news, but it had never sunk in perfectly. It had never gripped her heart. She's still weeping. Verse number 14, And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Now, I don't believe that she was looking directly face to face at Jesus at this point. Remember the tomb where Jesus was buried was in a garden. And therefore, it wouldn't be surprising if there, if there was another person working in the garden. So when Mary is visiting the tomb, she's there weeping, she's looking in the tomb, now she turns to come out and, and uh, she turns her attention away from the tomb for a second and supposes that this man who's speaking to her is the gardener. You know, there's a chance that Jesus might be closer to you today than you realize. There's a chance that Jesus can take something unexpected and use it to visit you personally, to speak to you personally. This is completely unexpected to her, but verse number 15, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Same question. Heaven is concerned about your tears. Jesus personally is concerned about your tears. Friend, we have a a great and merciful high priest. He is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He is afflicted with our afflictions. When you're in pain, He is concerned. He weeps with those that weep. Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? Even though he knows the answer, he still wants to engage in an intimate conversation, in in close fellowship, in communion, communion with you. Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener. So I I don't read where she looked him in the face to say this. She just figures this this gentleman, this gardener over by the side is asking me this. She's supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. So she sees the man. She knows that there's a man speaking to her, and she is asking a, She's giving a natural response to this not thinking the resurrection is a real thing. She says, just tell me where where the body is. I want to give him a proper burial. We can understand her sadness. Her closest friend, her Lord, her master, her savior has just died. She witnessed this horrible, brutal death and it's been three days. I wonder this morning, why are you weeping? Maybe you've been weeping for a few days. Why weepest thou? Maybe the Lord will show up in your living room this morning and speak to you in that still small voice and ask you personally, why weepest thou? You, yay, you personally. What's on your heart? What's wrong? What's got you sad? Mary, she had lost a loved one. She lost her closest friend. In Jesus the one who had changed her life she lost in in so doing she lost her purpose for living Jesus was her life she was one of his closest disciples now her purpose for living is gone and at the same time this all works together she lost her fellowship with Jesus because every day she she walked with him listened to him communicated talked with him and now that hasn't happened for three days and If you go without speaking to Jesus for three days, without hearing from Jesus for three days, that's heartbreaking. Now maybe you're sad for a slightly different reason today. Maybe you've lost something different. But it could be, it could be that The fellowship that you once experienced with God is not as close, is not as strong as it used to be. That's enough to bring tears to your eyes. Maybe you have lost your purpose for living. You've lost hope. You're frustrated and depressed, and you see absolutely no reason to go on. You've lost your way. Notice what happens in verse 16. Jesus saith unto her, Mary... Now, it's at this point. Notice what it says. Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni. So I don't think she was looking directly at him to begin with. She knew he was there. But now when she hears her name personally, she turns and says, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Imagine with me for a moment, the joy that leapt up in her heart when she heard her name called. If you don't mind me preaching for a moment, one of these days, folks, it might be really soon, your shepherd is going to call your name followed by come up hither, and we are going to escape this world of pain and sorrow and sadness and tears and death and sickness and we will be caught up together and meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I can't wait to hear my name called. But did you know that it is possible for you to hear your name spoken by the shepherd even before the rapture? It is possible this morning that Jesus very gently, very meekly can sit down next to you wrap His spiritual arms around you and say, I'm concerned about your tears. I've seen, yes, no, hearts here. heartseer What's wrong? Tell me about it, He says. And, and you may not realize how close He is. You may not realize how concerned He is. But you know what He'll do unexpectedly? The Bible says that the shepherd, the the sheep hear the shepherd's voice, and he calls his sheep by name. John chapter 10, verse 3. Unexpectedly, the shepherd can just speak to you personally. As you hear this, you no longer hear the voice of Pastor Mike, but you hear the voice of the Lord Jesus saying, Whatever your name is, Tani, wom, sisi, Puti, friend, whatever, whatever, however he gets your attention, to let you know that he's near. When Mary heard her voice, heard her name, she knew the voice of the shepherd. You say, How do you know when God's talking to you? You know what? When God speaks to you, it's usually so clear you have no doubt that it was God. If you need verification, you know what you do? You compare it with what you've heard from Him in the past. We have a Bible filled with things that we've heard from God in the past, so we're able to compare it. But you should have some some past experiences with the Lord, much like Mary Magdalene. She'd been walking with Him for two, maybe three years. She, She knew she was familiar with the shepherd's voice. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. The reason Jesus is able to speak to you this morning is because He is alive. We do not follow a dead prophet's teachings. We follow a living Savior who lives in our heart and can speak to us and can bear witness to us. In verse 17, Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not. Now, He had other things to do. He needed to go all the way up to the throne and and perform the functions of the great high priest and... We read more about that in the book of Hebrews. In verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that He had spoken these things unto her. I just want you to see that she got her purpose for living back. Jesus said in John 16, right before He went to the cross, He said, one one of these days very soon you're going to have great sorrow. He was speaking about His death. He said, but your sorrow will be turned into joy." That is exactly what you have happening with Mary. She was sad at the sepulcher, but after meeting this unexpected visitor, realizing that Jesus was alive, that that truth, that teaching, it finally hit home with her. Jesus had been telling the disciples that He was going to die and rise again for the better part of two years. And why it never sunk in for Him, I don't know. But just at this point, it hit home for Mary. And she has a renewed sense of living and a meaning for life and purpose and a zeal. And off she goes to tell the disciples. And I promise you, there's a smile on her face while she does it. So this morning you need to realize that whatever the sadness, wherever it's coming from, the loss of a loved one, the loss of hope, the loss of fellowship with God, through the resurrected Christ, you have a sense of hope, a reason for living. You know that the plan of God is working. All the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ. We believe that because of the resurrection. It validates Everything God promised that He would do, which means that when God says He catches your tears in a bottle, we can believe that He does. Your sadness can be turned into joy because of the resurrection. Let me show you the next group. John 20, verse 19. We begin to read about the disciples. They are scared of the circumstance. So Mary was sad at the sepulcher. And the disciples, they're scared of the circumstance. I believe this point. Now, point one speaks to a lot of people. It should, I believe. But but point two, I think it speaks to even more given our current circumstance. It says, then the same day at evening, this will be Sunday night of the resurrection, Sunday evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you." They had an unexpected visitor. The disciples, they're gathered in this upper room and they've shut the door for fear. I understand that. I'm not going to condemn them, criticize them too much. I understand their fear. As a human being, I get it. The, these disciples, <laughs> I'm just, I, I want this point to, to really set in for all of us. I want to paint the picture properly because as followers of Christ, they, these men, we're looking now at the 11, these men who had been following Christ, they had been preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. The kingdom is coming. And they recently ran off in fear. They forsook Jesus. You remember when the soldiers came in the Garden of Gethsemane? And no doubt by this point, they know what happened to Jesus. They're all aware of the crucifixion. The world, the multitude, had just been crying out, Away with Him! Crucify Him, talking about Jesus. The hatred of the multitude, who do you think it's going to be focused on? Now that Jesus is, in the world's mind, out of the way, the disciples, specifically these eleven, the leaders of this movement, they become the focus of the world's hatred. And they're afraid. They're afraid. I understand... Their fear as a human being. They, they put themselves in a self-induced lockdown. <laughs> Do you see that? They shut the door. And they said, we're going to have to let everything die down a bit, calm down a bit before we head back out. Do you see why I think we can relate to this? And even in, right now, I, all over the world, right? We are on a Pretty strict lockdown compared to other places in the world. But there's a lot of fear. There's a decent amount of panic. And and I'm not going to condemn you too much. Because as a human, these things have gone through my mind as well. All flesh is grass. I get it. What's going to happen with the economy? Is there going to be one when we're done with this lockdown? Is the coronavirus going to end up... Uh, I want to say, is this, is this going to kill more people than we think? Is it going to, is it going to send us to the hospitals and fill them? How, how serious of a disease is this? People are worried. People are scared. Are they going to force a vaccine on us? Are they going to force a microchip into us? People are scared. I know people are scared because they're asked, they're writing me, asking, what do we do about this? How do we feel about this? They're scared. You know, some people are worried about where they're going to get food tomorrow. These are legitimate, legitimate concerns. Jesus is aware of their fear. Now I want you to notice something. It's never hit me before like, like it has with this, but in verse 19, the door was shut, yes? Jesus passed through the door. Did you know that closed doors are no problem for Jesus? You might be looking at what's going on in the world right now and think, all of our doors are closed. All of our opportunities are finished. Not when you factor in the resurrected Christ. Now, as as you might know, you might be familiar with how this story worked. When Jesus went into the upper room, He first, he says, peace be unto you, but then he rebuked these 11 because they did not believe what the ladies had told them about Jesus rising from the dead. They didn't believe the evidence they already had for the resurrection. So he he rebuked them for their unbelief, which if I might slip this in, a lot of our fear is made worse or comes from a lack of belief in God's promises, It's one thing, right? The world is going to, and life is going to give us pressure. God gives us instructions and promises to deal with that pressure. So as one preacher recently said, I recently heard him say, "God might allow pressure and use pressure, even produce pressure in our lives. But stress is the unbiblical response to that pressure. I think I think we can learn, we can apply that, that thinking to what we're looking at here. These disciples, they're afraid, yes, but how does the resurrected Jesus play into this? He steps into the room through the closed door and says, Peace be unto you. Are you scared this morning? You worried about the future? Jesus says, My peace I give unto you, my peace I live, I, I leave with you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You know what Jesus did for the next 40 days? The Bible says that He met with the disciples over the course of those 40 days, and He taught them about the kingdom of God, and He told them, you can read this in Acts 1, Wait here in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Right? He said, John baptized you with water. You guys are going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. And he spoke to them about the Holy Spirit. I find it interesting that in our passage, if you look at what happened, verse 20, and when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his, feet, and, and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Notice the sorrow turned to gladness, but you're going to see not just gladness, they're going to get some boldness as well. Verse 21, Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. He says, guys, it's your job to take this message now that I've risen again. I want you to go tell everybody that forgiveness of sins is possible because I'm alive. They are afraid of society. They are afraid to go outside. And he says, I'm sending you out. Now, let me ask you this, did He send them out immediately? No, which I love the balance of this, the wisdom of God, breathtaking in this thing, because He didn't send them out that same evening because the multitude could very well have been in such an uproar that they wouldn't have even given the disciples a chance to speak, right? You remember a couple times in the book of Acts, this happened where the multitude just got stirred up. Paul tried to preach and the other disciples said, Paul, don't even try. They won't even let you get a word in. And then they just had to go to the next town. Jesus, how wise is this? For 40 days, He teaches and comforts His apostles, preparing them to be sent out, listen, to face their fear. He says, guys, you can't just live in the upper room forever. I'm alive, and the world needs to know it. Now, we, we're going to do this with wisdom. Wise as serpents, harmless as doves. We're going to wait for the right time. Wait, wait here in Jerusalem. When the Holy Spirit comes, then you're going to be witnesses unto me. You're going to have power to go and tell everybody. Eventually, you have to face the fear, but you're not alone when you do it. As Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. He said that in John 14, right after he promised that he would send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, to his disciples. In verse number 22, he says, And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, we're going to do a little bit of thinking, this, uh, thinking through on this. Because right here, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Ghost. But then he tells them to wait for the coming of the Holy Ghost, which happened on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after this event. So what's the difference? If they had the Holy Spirit here, what's why, why are they waiting until Pentecost for it? On the day of Pentecost, they were baptized by the Holy Ghost. That's when the body of Christ started and the... And the Holy Spirit comes down with a brand new ministry, living and indwelling all disciples and believers. In this instance, Jesus breathed on them, said, receive ye the Holy Ghost, because they needed an extra dose of God's grace, guidance, wisdom, help to get them through the next 40 days, even we we can say 50 days, to wait for that coming, that baptism. Jesus was going to be teaching His apostles for 40 days. They needed the help of the Holy Spirit to understand everything He was going to say. They needed needed the help of the Holy Ghost to get them through that fearful evening. So whatever you're going through, whatever you're scared of right now, you know what God will do? Unexpected. You might be shut the door, locked down, and afraid. And Jesus shows up unexpectedly and says, Hey, I'm going to get you through this. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm never going to leave you. I have provided the necessary wisdom. I'll give you a plan. We'll work this out. We'll go step by step together. But we're going to make it. I have found this to be so true in my life. I look at, I I think about potential disasters that might happen and I wonder how, how would I deal with that if that happened? You know, you start to panic and worry about things, about the what ifs, which isn't healthy. But I, I wonder how would I ever get through that? But then I remember all the other challenges that have come my way, accidents that have happened, difficulties that came unexpectedly. God's grace was always sufficient to every challenge. The grace that He's given you to get through today right may not be sufficient for the challenge of tomorrow but when the challenge of tomorrow shows up then jesus shows up again and breathes on you and anoints you afresh and says here's the necessary strength and leadership and help and here's enough of me to get you through this next day in verse 23 whosoever sins you remit they are remitted unto them and whosoever sins you retain they are retained Jesus is telling His church how to get along. You guys learn how to forgive each other. Learn how to sit down and talk and say, listen, this is not resolved, or this is resolved. Learn how to depend on each other, how to get along with each other. Jesus left behind the church. He left behind a bit of Himself. These scared disciples, they were given the grace that they needed so that they could face their fears. And they did with great boldness. With great boldness. They eventually got the victory. I tried this last week. I'm going to try it again today. Got to have a little water before I try to sing something for you. But many of you might know the song, Because He Lives. I'm not going to sing the whole thing, although it's a beautiful song. But the chorus of it says, Because He Lives. I can face tomorrow because He lives. All fear is gone because I know He holds the future and life is worth the living just because He lives. You know what I found? That because He is alive, that promise of Him saying, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, he meant that. He couldn't, that wouldn't be true if he wasn't alive, but because he is, his presence can be with me and you daily. So you know what he said? I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. I want you to apply the resurrection to your life. Apply it to the sadness and see if it doesn't turn it to joy. Apply it to what you're scared of and see if it doesn't turn that around and give you boldness and grace and help to get through the day. And lastly, Thomas, he was skeptical at the situation. Mary was sad at the sepulcher. The eleven were scared at the situ- at the circumstance. And Thomas, he was skeptical of the situation. Now we know this. We, we call him Doubting Thomas. But in verse 24, but Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus. Didymus means twin. Uh, so evidently he had a twin brother, was not with them when Jesus came. He missed that Sunday evening service. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, here's his skepticism, his doubt, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas was skeptical he strangely enough you and i actually share more in common with titus or uh, with types with thomas than than you might realize because we were not in the upper room when jesus came and showed the eleven his hands and his side we were not there to see that physical evidence like thomas and for some people they they say i'm not satisfied to simply believe it because somebody said it now Let's be careful that we understand the situation here. Thomas, he had the witness of the ladies, the other female disciples, and the apostles who would eventually go on to write the New Testament. You and I, we also have the witness of the apostles because we still have this New Testament. And the evidence, Thomas, it's not as if he didn't have any. He did have eyewitness testimony to go by. But for him, it simply wasn't enough. And for some people, maybe, maybe we have some visitors this morning watching this live stream. And for you, there's always been a nagging question: why is Christianity the right way? Why, why, why? follow Jesus and not Muhammad? Why not? Why Christianity and not Hinduism? Why do we have to single it down to say it's only Jesus? Why can't it be anybody just choosing the path that they want? Why is Christianity the right way? And you just have your doubts. Some, sometimes it's because, right? You've gone to school and you've heard people argue against Christianity and they've put some questions in your head, maybe legitimate questions, but it has caused you to doubt. For other people, maybe you saw some church folk as you grew up or maybe even later in life and they were complete hypocrites and it has turned you against Christianity. And much like Thomas said at the end of verse 25, you have decided, I will not believe. What can the resurrected Jesus do to change your mind? Now, if Jesus hadn't risen again, Thomas' doubts doubts would be well-founded. But you're going to see an unexpected visitor show up once again. In verse 26, after eight days again, his disciples were within. Now, no longer are they in Jerusalem. By this point, I believe they're up in Galilee. They're they're, uh, gathering in a different room at this point. Eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger. Notice, There's a group there, but he focuses right in on Thomas. He knows exactly the needs of Thomas' heart. And this morning, more than other mornings, I don't know who I'm preaching to. I'm going to trust that the Lord, as the Good Shepherd, puts His finger on your heart and answers the questions that, that have been nagging you I'm going to pray that He he gets your personal attention and says, hey, you might have doubts about this or that, but look at the evidence I am providing. He says to Thomas in verse 27, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless but believing. Jesus you're going to see in just a moment, it would have been better for Thomas to have believed the testimony of the apostles, but Jesus, being the merciful Savior he is, he answered Thomas's skepticism. Thomas noticed the immediate change in verse 28. Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. This isn't an exclamation of, of fear or excitement. This is a profession of faith. My Lord and my God. He went from saying, I don't know if this guy's the Messiah or not, to this is God manifest in the flesh. If this morning you've joined the live stream or you're watching this maybe later on and you have some doubts in your heart, I wonder if you would at least give the resurrected Jesus an opportunity to answer those questions, to deal with those doubts. And if you would honestly pray to him and say, Lord, I'm willing to to look at the evidence and I'm willing to do so with with the right attitude so that if if you show me the truth, I will follow it. I will react to the evidence that you do provide. I I don't want to approach this with a stubborn or rebellious attitude. I honestly just want the truth. I believe that if somebody honestly draws nigh to God and is seeking God in such a manner that God will manifest Himself to that honest seeker. Verse 29, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, believe, uh, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed, which for you and I living in this day and age, that makes us part of that blessed group. We haven't seen the physical resurrected Jesus standing before us. We we have believed the testimony that the apostles gave in the Bible. Now, maybe this morning it would help. It would help. If you, had, if, if you do have those doubts, you say, I, I, I can't just believe everything the Bible says. And people, often, they've asked me this. They say, how do you talk to somebody who's, who's not a believer that has doubts One one way you can approach it is to say there is a good reason to believe the Bible and then speak about the Bible's authority, its infallibility, and show them why we believe the Bible is an inspired book. But maybe people have their doubts about what the apostles wrote. There's another avenue to erasing skepticism, and that is, what about the resurrection? People sometimes look at verse 29 and say that Jesus is advocating blind faith. Just believe it because we said it. Th- this isn't blind faith. The apostles, they, did, they didn't believe it just because somebody said it. They saw it. That's not blind faith. That's the opposite of blind. They saw it with their eyes and they're reporting what they had seen. But I, I'll give you some evidence for the resurrection. Just something to think about. That morning the tomb was empty. That morning, the tomb was empty. The empty tomb speaks loudly towards a resurrection. Everywhere in Jerusalem, people—it was the message was going out that Jesus, this one who had been crucified, had now risen. The Jews, rather than going to the tomb and saying, there's the body, he didn't rise. The Jews created a story to explain why the tomb was empty. They said, oh, the disciples came by night, you know, stole the body. By making that story up, the Jews are in a, they are accepting the fact that the tomb is empty. Why was the tomb empty? The claim is that Jesus had resurrected. All you have to do is provide a corpse and the movement of Christianity stops, but it was never produced. Surely that was sought out But the evidence supported the Christian message. The tomb remained empty. The corpse was never found. Another thing to think about, these apostles who were preaching this, they eventually gave up their lives. They suffered. Many of them brutally were martyred. They didn't become famous by the world standard. They didn't become rich. They marched bravely to their death, preaching the resurrection of Christ. If they knew it was a lie, why would they do that? What would have been their motive? It makes much more sense to say that they had truly seen Jesus after He had risen from the dead. Another thing to think about, James, the Lord's brother, Jesus had physical half-brothers, half-sisters. One of them was named James. This man, James, eventually became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And to the best of my knowledge, he wrote the book of James. What changed this man's mind? Because in the days of Jesus' ministry, all of his brothers and sisters were offended at him. Well, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, James was one of the people to whom Jesus appeared after he rose from the dead. It was the resurrection that changed his mind. What else could explain it? And along those same lines, we have to consider the Apostle Paul. How do you explain the the extreme transformation of a Christ-rejecting, Christian-killing Jew who suddenly and drastically changes his life and now becomes the chief proponent of Christianity, writes the majority of the books we have in the New Testament, How do we explain this? The the best explanation for all of the evidence is to say that Jesus did in fact rise from the dead. Now, if he rose from the dead, that validates everything that he said in his life. That means that when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me, that must be true. Jesus said the scripture cannot be broken. The, The Bible's infallible. Then that statement must be true. So once you see that The resurrection is the best explanation for the evidence that leads us to believing what the apostles wrote and said. And so the resurrection, the Bible, it all works together. I I recently, I had a a debate, I say recently, a couple years ago now. I was invited to a debate in Durban with, with a Muslim and we were discussing the deity of Christ. Is he God? And we were talking about these statements that he made uh, about being I uh, I and the Father are one and before Abraham was, I am. And, And I gave several proofs for Jesus being God. But then at the end of it, I gave them this challenge and I'm going to offer you the same challenge for any Thomases that I might be speaking to this morning. And the challenge is this. I explained to them that if Jesus is God, that means that He did rise again from the dead and that He did ascend back to heaven, that He is seated at the right hand of the Father and that He is who He claimed to be. And if that is the case, if He is alive right now today, then you can speak to Him. He can hear you and He can respond to you. So the the challenge that I'm extending to you is if you are in doubt, Express that doubt to the Lord. Ask Him. Ask Him, Please, Lord, I, I want to respond to the truth. I want to be on the right path. And if, if you will just give me, give me the information, send the right person into my, into my life, show me what I need to see from the Bible, just let it make sense. If you will approach Him honestly with a, with a soft heart, then if He is who He says He was, He will, as He did with Thomas, He will answer your questions. He will answer your questions, but you have to approach Him honestly. Maybe you can think of this as we come to a close. Look at how many lives have been changed since the resurrection of Jesus. Multiple millions of lives have been drastically transformed because this unexpected visitor who rose from the dead 2,000 years ago showed up in our lives. He changed mine. He's changed many of you that are listening. And friend, if you happen to be the Thomas in the crowd, he can change you as well. I beg you today to approach him honestly. Ask him the questions you need to ask and then wait for him to answer. I have great confidence that if you approach him with the right heart, He certainly will. What's your situation this morning? Are you sad at the sepulcher? Are you scared at the circumstance? Are you skeptical of the situation? No matter what it is, I am am convinced that the resurrected Christ unexpectedly can show up and do something about those struggles that you're experiencing. I believe that all of these things can be applied and help us right now, today. Would you please join me in prayer as we bring this service to a close? Father, thank you for the opportunity to preach this morning. And I would ask that you please address the individual needs of your sheep. And if there's possibly one that has gone astray, Lord, maybe somebody's skeptical and has doubts. They've never personally trusted you as their Lord and their God, would you please grab a hold of that person's heart this morning? Show them what they need to see. Answer their questions. Bring them in, God. The sadness, the people that are scared, the fear, please, God, you can deal with that. Help us to, to, to actually apply the resurrection to our lives to think about how it can change our situation. Lord, help us to live as if You're alive, because You are. Please, let that be a living reality for us. Thank You for the privilege of preaching the Word of God this morning. Please let the seed sink deep into our hearts. And please bring us back tonight again as we honor You with the ordinance You gave us of the Lord's Supper. Father, thank You for this beautiful day. In Jesus' name, Amen. Folks, thank you so much for tuning in, and Lord willing, we'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock.